Last Sunday, when I got to the end of my sermon, I had a, a fair bit of things uh, I wanted to say about verses 15 to 25, but I, just, I was running out of time, and you know, you can only uh, absorb, your mind can only absorb as much as your backside can endure. So uh, I just read through the passage and said, you guys, you guys all feel me, <laughs> and then uh, put an amen to it. And so I'm going to go back and uh, give you what I wanted to say last Sunday about it, uh, which means the sermon might be a little shorter than it was than it normally would be. But then I thought, you know, uh, there's probably some other things I could say too. So I made it quite a bit longer. And so, uh, <laughs> so you know how it goes. It's just uh, if you guys could ever, if you guys could, if you guys could ever be a preacher, or if you've ever been a pastor, you know what a what a peculiar delight it is to get to preach God's word. I mean, there just, there just ain't nothing like it in the whole wide world. Because you, for the, for the few minutes that you're in the pulpit, you are operating uh, right in the smack dab middle of God's calling for your life and, your whole, and all your preparation and your life's thinking about it. And it's just, it's just, a, just a great thing to be, to be a preacher. And, uh, to, and really, sometimes when you're preaching, you never want to stop. You never want to stop. I mean, I just, it's hard to know when to stop. I was, I was preaching a funeral for a lady in our church, for a lady who went to our church in Oklahoma. And uh, in, that, in that sermon, something peculiar was taking place. It was, I really felt like as I was preaching, that a door had swung open between where we were and the eternal realm. I knew I was preaching to a fair number of people who were not born again, who were not Christians. I, 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 I talked with them. I knew that they were not Christians. One, one man who was there had, had uh, told us that he had, he had become an atheist and started believing in God. And, he, and, 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 that, and that's, such a, that's such a shot to your gut, isn't it? When you, a kid who's raised in church and he says, you know, I don't really believe in God at all anymore. That's such, that's such a blow. But there he was sitting out there the funeral service, and I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling the glad tidings of, a, of the heavenly realm. And in that sermon, I, 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 I said it to the congregation. I said, I feel like there's a door has been swung open, and I feel like if I stop preaching, then the door is going to close, and you're going to be shut out. I said, that's what it's like to be a preacher, <laughs> to, to, live, to live in that kind of reality, that something really magnificent and glorifying to God is taking place. And, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess it up. Uh, so sometimes you don't want to stop because you don't, you don't know what's, what's taking place. But you do have to stop. Because, because when you're done with your sermon, you leave everybody in the church, everybody who's heard your sermon, you leave them all in, in good hands. You leave them all in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And uh, a guy named uh, Earl Blackburn, he said, the greatest soul winner the world's ever known is the Holy Spirit. He's never lost a soul. <laughs> so you entrust people to the Holy Spirit. Now with that, with, with that little diatribe, let's look at verses 15 to 25. For I do not understand my own actions. Paul is going to describe here what it's like to be a Christian and have two natures inside of you. 
I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. This is is an important verse. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. In this section, last week I entitled this section of the sermon, Life with the Spirit and with Sin. And this new relationship that we have with God through Christ Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm just assuming that everybody here is kind of working from a Christian position. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been caused by the Holy Spirit to know your sinfulness... And to know that you need a Savior and you put your faith in Christ, then you're a Christian. And so Christians, we have a wrestling with sin that's ongoing. And I'm working from that that perspective. I'm just assuming that everybody here is a Christian. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to listen too. Because you may not like Christians. And the reason you don't like Christians is because of what we're going to talk about today. The wrestling with sins. Because being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. Does it? No. Being a Christian means you've come to know God. And God is transforming you through the Holy Spirit as time goes on. He's making you more and more like His precious Son. Now, the relationship that we have with God through Christ Jesus, that relationship is a real and true and enduring relationship. But the old relationship we've had our whole life with the flesh, with the fallen nature, it still affects us because indwelling sin is still part of our lives. Remember, I invoked Martin Luther uh, several weeks ago when I said that Luther said that we who are Christians, we are just but still sinners. We are justified. We're in a positive status with God. We've been declared innocent before God, but we still sin. We still sin. Now, The power of sin that brings us under condemnation, that power of sin has been destroyed. Now what that means is that after you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you commit a sin, God does not cast you away. God does not give you, when you believe on him, God does not give you temporary life. He gives you everlasting life. When God justifies you, Romans 8.33 says this, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God has declared you innocent, if God has said this person has no more sin on their record, that's the way it is, and that cannot be changed. That's what Paul says. He appeals. It is God who justifies. If God says, I'm cool, baby, I'm cool. And it can't be messed up, right? So, indwelling sin. 
Now, Christ is the person who has done this for us. Christ has destroyed the power of sin to condemn us. And the benefit of Christ's victory over sin is appropriated by you and by me through faith in Christ as the Son of God who has risen from the dead. And these next few verses here we've, we've talked about, we've read, describe what the life of a Christian is like in our struggle with ourselves. Now in verse 15, the apostle writes, I do not understand my own actions. I don't know why I am this way. Now my friends, I'm going to be, I'll be a, a tad transparent with you and uh, you know... I don't want to talk to you about it later, okay? I'm going to tell you something about myself, and I don't want to hear you yapping at me later about it, okay? (laughs) So, in the last few months, I found myself being more easily upset with Valerie than normal. And we've talked about it. She's like, why are you being such a jerk? And you know my response is, because you're being a jerk. You know how it goes, right? I wouldn't be a jerk if you weren't a jerk. <laughs> but I, I've, been, I've been mad at her. And there's been times when just the, just the slightest word she'll say would just lighten the fuse. And I found myself thinking, why am I in this way? What is going on here? Why, why, why am I ticked off at her? And, she, and I'm thinking about what she's done. She really hasn't done anything out of the ordinary. She's not, being, she's not being mean or nasty or vicious. I mean, I'm just, why am I this way? I'm like, I don't understand this. I said, Lord, why, why am I behaving this way? Why, why am I going off half-cocked all the time? What is the problem? Well, we know what the problem is, don't we? It's me. I try to look around and blame it on all kinds of situations and circumstances, but it ain't, it, it's, not, not, it's not external. It's internal because sometimes it's just out of the blue. Just out of the blue. You ever been sitting, sitting somewhere and just out of the blue you get angry? So, so seethingly angry that you hope somebody cuts you off in traffic? you're looking for a reason to blow (laughs) you hope somebody disrespects your mama (laughs) because my dad told me when I was a kid the only reason you can ever throw a punch is if they disrespect your mama one time this kid (laughs) he said something about me he said what are you going to do you going to the store and I said are you calling my mama a store (laughs) I was so desperate to throw down (laughs) oh what a what a strange person I am but that's verse 15, isn't it? I do not understand my own actions. What's going on here? I do not want. I do not. I do what I do. For I do not do what I want. I do not want to get mad and upset about this, these things. But I do the very thing I hate. What is, what is going on? Why, why is there such a conflict within me? That's the sin nature. And what the apostle is recognizing here is that because he is doing something he doesn't want to do, he's doing something he hates, he's acknowledging that he knows the behavior is wrong. I know it's wrong for me to do that. And when he says, I hate this thing, he's acknowledging that God's law is also true. Now in verse 16, the apostle says, 
Now, if I, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that sin is good. Now, our struggle with sin and the disharmony of soul we have over it happens because we know the law is good. We know the law is good. We know that rules are good, right? I see we got Brother Dan over here. Brother Dan was a building inspector for a long time. Isn't that right, Brother Dan? And I'm sorry, I'm sorry I say it out in public like that. I should have just said we got a guy here. <laughs> but Dan knows all the rules, right? I don't know all the rules. And I don't want to know all the rules. Because if I know all the rules, then what do I got to do, Dan? I got to obey the rules. <laughs> it's, it's a conflict that we have. The rules are not bad. Rules are usually for the good. We have speed limits. Why? To keep us driving what? Slower. So we'll drive what? More safely. We have to have our, you don't have to do it here, but some states have cars inspected. Why do you have to have your car inspected? So your car will be safe. So you don't do harm to yourself or others. Rules are, are good. But we, have, but, we, but we wrestle against them. We, we have a conflict with them. We know the law is good. And especially we know that God's rules are good and right. And friends, if you are a Christian, that means that you, at least at a basic level, have agreed that God is right and that, do, and that those who disagree with him are wrong. And this is the conflict. We know the law is good. And we are supposed to obey God's law. We're supposed to obey him and do what he wants us to do. But then we don't want to do it. We bristle at it. We bristle at it. And uh, I don't think I need to illustrate that very, very much. Verse 17, the apostle tells us here, Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now here we have the two nature status of a Christian. The I... Paul says, is Paul in his renewed nature. Let's call him saved Paul, right? And then you have sin, which is the fallen nature. We'll call that unsaved Paul. So within you, you have saved you. And I'm using that term very loosely, saved you and unsaved you. Now, when God saved you, he saved your what? Soul. And you didn't save your body. Because your soul has been given everlasting what? But your body is going to die. That flesh is going to die. And that carnal nature that governs it is also going to die. So we have these two natures. Paul says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I have these, these two natures within me. And there's a struggle between the two. Now, here's the problem, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, here we could turn to Matthew 26, 41, and hear the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where Jesus comes back, he asked the, the, the apostles to pray while he goes and prays. He says, wait here and pray for me. I'm going to go pray. And when he comes back, what does he find him doing? They're asleep. And then Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, he says, The spirit is willing, but... So there's the conflict. The spirit wants to do it, but the flesh is weak. Have you guys ever been... Uh, I'll break out this old-fashioned term. You guys ever been soul winning? So when I was a kid, and then in college and throughout my pastoral ministry, I've been going door-to-door, 
knocking on people's doors and saying, I'm from whatever church, and I want to talk, I'm here to talk, I'm here, I'm here to invite you to come to church or to talk to you about being saved. Which is it? <laughs> now, I know that I should be a personal evangelist and be a witness. I know I should be. But you know what? I can tell you, I've walked up to lots of doors, to knock, walk up the door of a home, to knock on it, and while I'm knocking, hoping in my heart, Lord, don't let him answer. Because <laughs> I'm willing, but I'm afraid. This flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. How many of you like to go to church seven days a week? Ed said he would. Now, we, we talk about, we love, you love, I love going to church. I love, I love praying. I love the Bible. Let's have church every day. Did you know when John Calvin was in Geneva uh, for a time, he gave a sermon every single day, Sunday, to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at 5.30 in the morning, and people turned out for it? <laughs> That's because they had no TV. <laughs> they had no life. <laughs> So we, we said we want, we want more. So if I, if I, if I said, you, you think about this in terms of like a prayer meeting. We could say, you know, we're going to start having a, a, a church prayer meeting every Sunday night at 930, you know, at night. We're going to have a prayer meeting and we're going to come out here and pray. We're going to grab hold of the, 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 we're gonna grab hold, grab hold of the horns of the altar and enter into the holy place and make connection with heaven and see miracles and see great things take place. We get everybody roused up about prayer meeting. Because we can give testimonies about what prayer can do and how prayer can change a life and change a community and change a country and change people. Get everybody wound up about it. And it's going to be every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m., you know. You get, that way it's, that's the way it's late, right? So you got all your fishing and hunting done. You can come in and pray. And that, you can get people really wound up about it, get them excited about it. But guess what's going to happen at 9 o'clock? The flesh is going to be what? Weak. You're going to start thinking about getting ready for tomorrow, and there's going to be all these conflicts that take place. There's a struggle that we have with the fallen nature. The fallen nature does not want you to serve God. The fallen nature does not want you to love God. The fallen nature works against you. You don't need an external enemy to force you away from God. You have your own internal enemy who's working against you. Now in verses 19 through 20, it's basically a restatement of verses 16 and 17. But this is not an excuse. Because you can say, well, it's not me that's doing it, so therefore I'm innocent. I'm just a victim here. I'm just a patsy, a pawn in this game. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Sometimes I say, well, look, it's not my fault. But really what he seems to be saying to me is he is tracing the source of lust and sin to within himself. Our evil desires, our spiritual lethargy, is caused by our fallen nature. The fallen nature is us. Now, I've been a pastor for 20-odd years. And, I've, and I have had a lot of people tell me, I'm not coming back to that church because of you. Can you believe that? Me. Little old me, who is so lovely and gentle and sweet and kind and friendly and funny. 
It's happened lots of times, you know. It's just, it's just the way it goes. <laughs> but a lot of times, I don't, I don't want... <laughs> I'd say most of the time, the problem really wasn't me. It was them. And not really the good part of them, but the bad part of them. I went to see, I went to see a guy one night in Arkansas and went out to his house, and we were having a conflict, and... Uh, I said, I said, look, I'm here to work this out with you. And he said, well, I'm not going to work it out with you. I said, well, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We're supposed to work this out. I opened my Bible to Matthew 18 and said, you know, here I am. So we got a beef with each other. Here's the deal. And I said to him, and he said, well, I'm not going to do it. And I said, I said, come on, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. The Bible says this is what we're supposed to do. Let's get to it. I said, just tell me what the problem is and so we can work it out. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And I said, I read the Bible to him for a third time. And he said, don't read that Bible to me again. So I would say really his problem wasn't really with me. Now, I'm sitting there and not trying not to take it personally, but kind of like a light bulb goes off in your head. You ever had those epiphanies? Those eureka moments where I realized, hey, oh, pff, this is not really about me. This is about his relationship with God and his view of Scripture. So it helped me to have a better attitude towards him because he never left the church. I mean, I, I kept on preaching to him for about three years. Every Sunday. Saw him every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. And then he didn't want to make it up with me. But I kept on being nice to him and loving to him and gentle with him because I realized his problem really wasn't with me. It was with some kind of spiritual problem in his life, right? And that's kind of a pastoral gifting maybe to have that kind of perspective. I'm not really certain. But sometimes it's, it's the old nature that's roused up and causes that, those problems. There's this great passage in the Psalms, the Psalms 119 verse 169. Where it says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall, authorized version says, offend them. Newer versions say, shall cause them to stumble. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. When we really love God, God and love his law like we ought to, we don't get knocked out of church over all kinds of little bitty penny any things. Because we have a bigger picture. We see, we see, we see the, the bigger idea that's going on. We love God. And if you love God, which is the greatest commandment, right? What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself, which means you cut everybody some slack, right? It means you overlook, you overlook stuff. And this is, the way, this is the way Christianity is supposed to work. And you say, well, why doesn't it work that way? Because we've got the old nature. And we're always in conflict with the old nature. You remember when I was a kid, we had, we, I used to watch cartoons and had, had a little man... He's little boy's going to, to, out to play, and, he can't, he, and he, he's tempted to do something wrong. He's got a little, little angel over here that says, do it. And got a little angel over here that says, don't do it. You know, they've got this conflict. We, we have the same thing, but it's inside of us. It's, going, it's inside of us. So Paul traces the source of it, not to external things. He says, the problem is here. It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's us. 
the fallen nature. Now, in verse 21, the fallen nature is us, and it feels like a law or a constant. The apostle says, I find, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now, this idea of laws is interesting. There are certain laws of the universe where if these, the, the, certain things are always going, now I, I'm going to try to use a scientific illustration here. Now, I am not a scientist, nor the son of a scientist, nor the brother of a scientist. So this is very basic in the most general terms. If there's some kind of specific that I get wrong, keep that in mind. There are certain laws in the universe that are fixed. They're not going to change. If the temperature of water falls to like 32 degrees or less, what happens to it? It freezes. It freezes. And that's the same in everywhere, right? It's not different south of the equator, is it? It's just 30, it's like 32 everywhere, right? Now, if you go outside and you toss a ball up in the air, even if you, even if you throw it up with an incredible force, and it stays in our atmosphere, <laughs> what's going to happen to it? It's going to come down. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, that kind of stuff, right? If water goes above 212 degrees, what happens? It, it boils. So that's a law. It's, a, it's ongoing. It's unchangeable. It's a fixed law. So the apostle says that whenever I want to do good, boom! It's like there's a law. That I, that I automatically don't want to do it. When I was a kid sitting in church, my mom would say, sit up. I can still feel that little finger. Ear, ear, ear. Sit up. Because I've leaned on my, you know. Or the, the, other, uh, the, the other one I hated mo- a lot was, get your feet off the back of the pew in front of you. Put your feet down. Any of you guys ever go to church with pews? And when your legs are little, your feet are just dangling? And you put your feet on back of the pew. Did your mom and dad ever say that to you? Put your feet down. Pay attention. Pay attention. Put that pen away. Well, the minute my mom told me to do something, I automatically, guess what? I don't want to do it. She'd say, sit up. I'd be like, mmm. No. <laughs> Even if I externally complied, Internally, I was leaning forward. It was like there's a law. And so Paul says, this is the conflict. This is the struggle. We have this hardwired thing inside of us. When we desire to do good at the exact same time, the desire to do evil fires up at the same time. Our sin nature Evil that is indwelling inside of us, it works to stop us from doing good. And I I put it in my notes to say, have you experienced this? But I think as I'm talking, everybody is working through situations where they realize that is what I, I, yes, I have this problem. Now, in verses 22 and 23, the apostle appears to be saying that his mind is at war with his flesh and body. And some of you may say, this sounds like a mental illness. And I could see how you could take it that way. But in the, in the Bible, there's all these metaphors for soul, right? There's heart, 
mind and soul. These, these things are all kind of metaphors for the same thing. Now, I, I, may, I may have just confessed heresy in a general sense, but, but I'm just trying to see there's these metaphors. You have to make room for metaphors. So in the Psalms it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, right? That I might not sin against God. Well, did you hide it in your heart or did you hide it in your mind? You hid it in your mind. So there's, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Is that talking about your, mind, your heart or your mind? It's talking about your mind. There's all these metaphors. So Paul says that his mind is at war with his flesh and body. So our struggle is between the renewed mind that loves God and the old nature that hates God. Now we have this passage in Romans that talks about the, the renewing of our mind, that we have the mind of Christ in Corinthians. So there's this intellectual, there's this internal understanding and internal status that we have that's at war with the fallen nature. Now you probably experience this every day, this conflict between the two natures. Now, you probably experience this every Sunday in some ways because if you work Monday through Friday, you only get two days off from work on the weekend and one of those days off is disturbed by going to church. Now, I've been going to church my whole life. My dad was ordained October 1978 when I was uh, like four or five months old. So I've been going to church every Sunday my whole life. So not going to church on Sunday feels very weird to me. Anybody else like that? It just, it just, it just throws me out. It messes my whole week up. I don't know what day it is. But, I, but I've been going to church my whole life, but I know, man, some Sunday mornings I wake up and it looks so delicious outside that I, I just want to go fishing. Anybody else ever had that feeling? Now, now, here, now here's, the, here's the other side of that. I've woken up some Sunday mornings, and the weather outside is so nasty. I just want to stay home, snuggled up in bed, drinking coffee and watching John Wayne. So we, we have these struggles with it. We have these struggles. And this, that's, that's, the, that's the Christian experience. Now, when we give in to these sinful desires, that's, that's, that's the problem. That's where we commit the sins. We violate God's law when we feel the reproofs of the Holy Spirit. We, we know we should do what's right, but then we don't do it, and we commit a sin. And then when we commit a sin, it affects our fellowship with God and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's these two, these two words used in the Bible to uh, talk about our, our, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, where Paul says we shouldn't quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit because he's a person who lives inside of us. Now, Valerie is my wife, and I just told you that you know, I get mad at her. You know, I've had just, 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 just lately, I don't know what's going on. But. I hope it's just lately. <laughs> Maybe all the time. I'm not sure. So, in our relationship, when I, when I do something, when I do a sin against her, then when I come around later and put my arms around her and give her a kiss on the cheek, I am not met with warmth. Any of you dudes ever been in that situation? 
You're not met with warmth. You're met with duty. (laughs) I'll let you kiss me because you're my husband. So when we sin against God, the Holy Spirit gets grieved or quenched. And he, he's, he's, he's wounded. Kind of the saying when I was a kid was the Holy Spirit's the most sensitive part of the Godhead because he's inside of us. He's, all, he's the, the feeling side, you might say. So, we had, so when we sin, it, it, has, it has effects on our relationship with God, on our fellowship with God. Not relationship, but fellowship. And then when we, when we sin against God, the Holy Spirit reproves us of our sin and then when he reproves us, we feel annoyed with ourselves, we're, and then we feel ashamed of ourselves. We're annoyed, I did it again! And then we're ashamed of ourselves. There have been sometimes, my friends, when I've committed sins, and then, you know, the next day starts, and I've got to go pick up the Bible and read it, because that's what you're supposed to do every day, right, is read the Bible. And I go to pick up God's holy word, and something I don't know if it's an evil spirit or my own conscience or whatever, will say to me, how can you filthy beast dare touch that holy book? Oh. I think sometimes this is what happens to people who fall out of church. They get involved in sin, they fall out of church, and they're, and they're too ashamed to go to church. They feel like if I go in there, like I, they feel like they got a scarlet letter sewed on their breast. And they're, I can't go in there, everybody will know. Shame. So we feel, we feel, so there's, this sin, we, the sinful struggle is there, but we, we, we really have to work to not give into it. We must not commit the sins because it's going to, there, there are, it doesn't jeopardize your status with God, but it, it messes up the whole, it messes up your, your fellowship and the way you feel inside. I hope I'm explaining that fairly well. Now, in verses 24 and 25, we see the apostle's frustration with himself. Listen to what he says. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. This is how he describes himself. I'm just a wretch. I'm just a loser. Vile person that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So we can see that he is frustrated with himself because his body, his flesh, his fallen nature is working against him, driving at him to obey it and not obey God. He's he's torn. Now, this next sentence, who will deliver me from this body of death, is an interesting sentence. Albert Barnes in his commentary here says that Paul could be could be, not for sure is, but that Paul could be using this phrase as an illustration of his condition. Because in ancient times, there was a custom practiced by tyrants of old that they would take, they would, they would bind a dead body to a captive as a punishment and compel them to drag the cumbersome and offensive burden with them wherever they went. And so what he was saying is in ancient times, if, so if you were at war with another nation and you got taken prisoner, they might chain you to a dead body of one of their citizens. And you had to drag it around everywhere. Now, my friends, this is no pleasant thing. Because it, it, it may be small enough that you can handle and tote around easily, 
But that body is going to change, isn't it? And there's going to be, there's going to be all kinds of yuckiness come out of that. And so, so maybe that's what Paul is doing. Barnes says he might be, but he's not sure. I agree with Barnes. It's a good illustration, isn't it? You have this living soul. This glorious, holy soul. Living with a body that's trying to get it to do wrong all the time. It's kind of... It causes conflicts. You can see how the conflicts would come. Paul says, who's going to get me out of this? Who's going to deliver me? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ will deliver us from this. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now my friends, there will be deliverance from this conflict. It will, but it will not be achieved by extreme self-discipline and denial. Some people think that's the way, the way it happens. I can conquer my sinfulness by taking cold showers and eating porridge and wearing hair shirts. That's how they think. I, I, can, I can squelch all my sinful desires by extreme self-discipline. They think maybe if I lived on top of a mountain all alone with nobody around... But that won't do it. The only way to be delivered from this body of death ultimately is through Jesus Christ. Christ has broken the chains of condemnation off of us. He has endued us with his Holy Spirit. And one day, we're going to receive a body that's not been polluted by sin one day in the future. As long as you're living on this earth, you're going to have this conflict, this struggle. That's bad news, isn't it? But I'm going I'm to I'm give you one example of, of why it's good. It'll keep you humble. And we could all use a big fat dose of humility. It'll keep us humble. It'll keep us humble. So how do we know we're going to get this new and glorious body? Well, listen, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. First Corinthians fifteen fifty. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of sin is death and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The day is going to come, my friends. Jesus is going to return to this world. My dad would say it like this. God's going God's to tell Gabriel to step out on a cloud and sound the horn, and we're out of here. We're not just going to be out of here, but we're going to get new bodies on the way up. New, glorious, and wondrous bodies that are not afflicted with the sin nature, that are not afflicted with infirmities. A glorious thing. Now, in conclusion... If your sinful desires sometimes seem to you undefeatable, 
If you feel like there's a law in your members that when you want to do good, evil is there to get you to do bad, that's normal. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That's the Christian experience. Our desire is to be clean. Our desire is to live without sin. But the old desire, the hungers for it are still present. And this is going to be the way, this is just the way it's going to be. Now, over time, some sinful desires, they fade and they get less. And at times, other desires move in to replace them. As you grow older, your temptations will change. I think this is such a fascinating thing. When I was 10 years old, what I wanted to do that was bad was not near the things I would want to do now. (laughs) My knowledge is so much different now. As you age, your temptations will change and you'll resist new things. But your whole life long, your your whole life as a Christian, you're standing firm before God through Christ. You're standing, your relationship is unaffected by your behavior. I can see I've almost gone about 45 minutes, so... I told you I added on a lot to this sermon. But here's here's the last bit, okay? If your response to this kind of teaching is, thank God I can keep on sinning and not worry about it, then what you have is a spiritual problem and you missed the point. (laughs) Now there's something attractive about that to us because we think, well, it doesn't matter, but that's not what it says. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. If your response is this, thank God my failures cannot separate me from the love of God, I'm going to press on and keep on trying to do my best, then you got it. All right? If that's where you came to, that's you got it. Now I'll give you four things that will help you in this struggle, and we'll be done. In fact, let's stand together while I read them to you. <laughs> four things. Read your Bible. Pray the Psalms. Confess your sins daily. Recognize Jesus as Lord. Go to church. These are four things that will really help you in your struggle. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for your grace and love. Amen.